Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Vineyard Church, good evening. All right, you all have been to church before, you know the deal. Uh, Well, as Pastor Steve said, uh, my name is John. I am coming to you uh, from the city of Chicago, uh, just to the west of here, about three and a half hours of traffic west of here, as I found out today, uh, where I have the privilege of being one of the pastors of a church community called Soul City Church. We are a mostly young, vibrant, diverse Jesus-loving, most of us, the rest of us are on a journey, we're all on a journey actually uh, toward that, and it is one of the great privileges of my life to be one of the pastors there. Another one, in fact, an even greater privilege in my life is to be a member of my family of now four, uh, which includes myself, it includes uh, my incredible wife, Erin, and then our two children, our two-year-old daughter, her name is Florence, and then our son, Oaks, is seven weeks old. And so if I just fall asleep right up here, you know it's because we're in that newborn season, baby. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. There they are. Look at them. Look at them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're one of the great, great treasures and blessings of my life. But another one for me is I have had the privilege, I would say, over the last anywhere between seven to ten years, to travel around the country and speak into other church communities other than my own. And I truly, truly mean that. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to be here tonight and to hold this space to worship with all of you and hopefully maybe to teach and encourage you on a few things as well. And the thing that was unique for me is uh, when I traveled to be here, I feel like I didn't even really have to leave home, even with three and a half hours of traffic. It was like I was driving down the highway, and there was a Culver's every other exit, like, <laughs> which I was just right at home because I am from the Midwest. You know, I was born and raised, you know, in the Midwest. Um, that's that's kind of home for me. I was born outside of Detroit. I was raised in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I did a short stint on the East Coast uh, for college and then post-graduation. As, as I mentioned, I lived in New York for a little bit a while working as an actor. But eventually, I found my way back to God's country, the Midwest. And I have, I've been in Chicago ever since. Um, and I, because of that, because I've spent the majority of my life in this region of the country, I don't consider myself an expert on many things. But one thing I do consider myself an expert on is what I would call Midwest culture. Now, my coastal elite friends in New York and L.A. would say that the phrase Midwest culture is an oxymoron. <laughs> they, would, they would sit there cross-legged and they would say, John, there's nothing cultural about the Midwest. But they don't know us. We are more than cornfields, okay? We absolutely are. I think there's some beautiful, beautiful things about Midwest culture. For example, you know you're in the Midwest when, uh, when you are in a restaurant and no one ordered salad, but everyone is eating ranch dressing, right? We have done the world a great service in introducing them to not a salad dressing, but a very flexible dipping sauce. That's how it works. Another, I think, um, clear sign of Midwest culture is uh, when you run into someone, like physically run into them in the grocery store or somewhere, and instead of saying, I'm sorry, or excuse me, you just make this noise. 
Oh. <laughs> Who here does the oh? Yeah? Little clue for you. If you've never traveled outside of this region, other people just say words to each other. Not us. Just get a weird sound. Another clear marker of the Midwest. You know you're in the Midwest when it's that one day that gets above freezing in January and every man is wearing shorts. Just mowing the lawn in flip-flops. Nowhere else does this happen. And finally, and I think this is really the hallmark of the Midwest, you know you're in the Midwest when your sports teams constantly lose. Now, now that, that, listen, that might just be for me personally because the Bears are so awful this year. Pray for us. We need some deliverance. So, now, raise your hand if, like me, you are Midwest born and bred. Yeah, you're, you're from, most of you, very good, very good. Now, if you're brave enough, uh, raise your hand if you would actually consider yourself a Midwest transplant. You're not from here originally, but you found your way here. A few, the remnant, the few, the proud. Good for you. Yes, grateful for you as well. God loves other parts of the country. A little bit less, but does. Um, you know, what, what I find really interesting about that, though, is, is even whether you were born and raised in the Midwest like me, or whether you are one of the few people who, who was maybe born somewhere else and, and found their way here, that would be my friend Richard, for example. He works on staff with me at the church. Richard was born in Las Vegas, raised in Las Vegas, and eventually made his way to Chicago. But whether you were born here or whether you made your way here, my guess is one of those things that we just talked about is true about you. Even if you weren't born in the Midwest, my friend Richard, he wasn't born here, but eventually he got wise and he started ordering ranch with his pizza. <laughs> eventually he started using the oat in the grocery store. My, my point is this, that, that whether you were born here and raised here or you made your way here, at some point and in some way, the culture of the Midwest has shaped you as a person. It has kind of formed who you are today. Maybe it has even changed you in some way. And I actually think this is something that is just true on many levels. And it's this, that culture informs how we are transformed. I think that's true at a lot of different levels. You think about the, the culture of the family that you were raised in. That, that culture, the norms within your family had a significant impact on the person that you have grown to become. The, the culture of the city or the country that you live in, that helps inform the person that you are. Think about it right now. The culture of the workplace where you are employed does not just affect who you are at work. It affects and changes who you are at home as well. Culture informs how we are transformed. In fact, I would say that culture is one of the main drivers it's one of the main things that actually dictates or changes how we are being formed and who we are becoming. Now, the, the theme, as I've been told, of, of this year's Chasing God is that phrase, your kingdom come. And, and all throughout this week, you know, I've been listening in and you've been discussing some different aspects of the kingdom and of the Lord's prayer. And, and, you know, I think one of the phrases that is so central to that very famous prayer from Jesus is, is the phrase that follows, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And now one thing that you should know right off the bat is that whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, or sometimes the kingdom of heaven, whether it was in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, or any other time Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he wasn't talking about some golden city in the clouds that we go to and drift away to when we die. But actually, most of the time, what Jesus was talking about, for him, the kingdom of God wasn't a place to live as much as it was a way of living. That's how Jesus thought about the kingdom. One of my favorite Bible teachers actually translates that phrase, kingdom of God, simply as life with God. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, what he's really describing is what does life with God look like? And that's really the question that I want us to wrestle with tonight. That's the question that we're going to spend a few minutes looking at together. And specifically, the question I want to ask is, what is the culture in God's kingdom? Because you see, just like your family or your workplace or the Midwest has a culture, there are also norms and rhythms and characteristics that make up the culture of God's kingdom or life with God. And if culture informs how we are transformed, then what does it actually look like for you and me to invite the norms and rhythms of God's culture, of the kingdom culture, to inform our lives and our world and our culture? That's what I want us to wrestle with tonight. Sound good? And we're going to wrestle with it by looking at a short little passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up, Matthew chapter 13. You'll find that in the New Testament or this kind of the second half of your Bible. Um, and while you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context for this passage that we're going to look at. So uh, what we're about to look at is considered to be one of Jesus's parables. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that language, a parable essentially was a short story that Jesus would tell. These were usually fictional, whimsical little tales that Jesus would use as teaching tools. But something that we often misunderstand uh, about parables is that these stories, Jesus was not just teaching general moral life lessons. This wasn't just life hacks with Jesus. But actually, scholars believe that every single parable that Jesus was telling, in every single one of them, what he's actually trying to do is he's using these stories to describe what the kingdom of God, aka life with God, aka, aka kingdom culture, looks like. That's what these parables are for. It's not just Jesus giving us a little snack of wisdom, but what he's doing through these stories, he's describing, hey, here's what a life with God is meant to look like. And he's doing that in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start reading in verse 31. Here we go. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it was the, what's the next word? Though it was the smallest of all seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So let's walk through this together. In just three verses, we get not one but two parables, 
from Jesus. One about a tiny mustard seed that is planted in the ground and grows to become a tree, and the other about yeast that works its way through dough in order to make bread. Now, Jesus would often do this, where he would kind of tie two parables together, either because they complemented one another or, in this instance, because they were straight up teaching us the same thing. And while we're going to spend the majority of our time tonight focusing on the seeds and the tree, it is really important right here up top for us to notice what these two parables have in common. So again, let's review it. In each of these parables, you have something very small, the seeds and the yeast, something usually unseen, something even to the point of being imperceptible. You have these tiny seeds and yeast being this unseen catalyst for a much larger and much more visible transformation, being the tree and the dough. Now, one reason that Jesus' parables are kind of tough is because most of the time they are extremely short and extremely vague. So seemingly, you could read them, and there's a million different ways that you could choose to interpret it and apply it to your life. But again, remember, why is Jesus telling this parable? Because he's trying to describe what the kingdom of God, what life with God looks like. In breaking down this parable, scholar Klein Snodgrass, which is a real name, um, if anyone is looking for a baby name, that was our second choice. For our, for our son. Klein Snodgrass says this, he says, the mustard seed similitude or parable urges, possibly warns, that no one should be put off by what appears unimpressive. I want to read that again. No one should be put off by what appears unimpressive. Could you think of something more countercultural to our world today? A world that is basically all about impressing. (laughs) Impressing people with my resume. Impressing people with what I post online. Doing whatever I can to impress that family across the street so that they know we are better than them. In this world that is obsessed with looking as impressive as possible, what, what Snodgrass is saying is that Jesus' parable is actually telling us, do not overlook the things that are unimpressive. But in fact, he says, like a tiny mustard seed, which grows into a large plant, so the kingdom is present, even if hidden, even if it is unnoticed or ignored. And its full revelation with its benefits will come. Essentially, what this parable is saying, Jesus is highlighting, I think, a massive difference between our earthly human culture and God's kingdom culture. And if I could kind of sum up that difference with just one phrase, it would be this. Where we see a seed, God sees a tree. What do I mean by that? What I mean is where you and I might completely miss something that is small, where we often are quick to overlook a person in our lives that seems unimportant, or to overlook or pass by an opportunity that seems insignificant. What Jesus is saying is that in the kingdom of God, there is actually significance in the insignificant. In fact, the things that are insignificant, that's actually where the kingdom is. 
That's actually where life with God is found, that in kingdom culture, even the smallest, even the most unlikeliest of moments, the most unlikeliest of conversations, the things that is easiest for you to ignore in your life, those things are actually packed with potential because of the power of God. And in our culture, they just look like a seed. But when we actually begin to live as kingdom people, when we step into kingdom culture, those small little moments, those small little opportunities, those people that are easy for us to overlook, they no longer are just seeds, but we begin to see them as trees in development. We begin to see potential. When I was 17 years old, I uh, worked at an overnight Christian summer camp as a counselor for middle school students. And I remember one night at this camp specifically, our camp director, her name was Sarah, she came up to me and she threw a microphone in my hand basically and she said, go speak to the campers. And what she meant was like, not like give them a talking to, what she meant was go minister to them, go pastor them. And at this point in my life, 17 years old, I had never done any sort of public spiritual leadership in my life. I'd never given a sermon. I'd never thought of myself as pastoring myself, much less anybody else. I had no idea what I was doing. And some of you are thinking, Sarah made a poor leadership decision. (laughs) But as I think back on it now, what I realize is that Sarah saw a seed in me where most other people just saw a pretty arrogant 17-year-old kid who really just used his arrogance to hide his deep insecurity. What Sarah saw was not just a seed of a teaching gift, but she saw that, hey, maybe with the right opportunities, partnered with the power of God and the Holy Spirit working in his life, maybe that little seed of potential as a teacher, as a pastor, as a leader, maybe that could actually grow into something. Now, I tell you that story for two reasons. One, because if you don't like my sermon tonight, now you know you can blame a woman named Sarah who lives in Arlington Heights, Illinois. But the real reason I tell you that story is because when I was 17 years old, I'll tell you what, and Sarah put that microphone in my hand, I'll tell you what, I could have never imagined that 15 years later I would be doing what I am doing right now with you all. I could have never possibly perceived the work that God would do in my life, how God would take this tiny little seed of potential and faithfully and slowly and through hardships and in good times, by his grace and by his goodness, God would grow that seed into something much, much larger. And I also want you to know that that doesn't just happen for pastors doing churchy stuff. But I'm willing to bet you can think of a time in your life where all you could see was a seed. Where all you could see was just like, this tiny little glimmer, where all you had in your heart was this small little inkling, where all that it seemed was just like, this is all I got. I bet you can think of a time in your life where all you could see was a seed, but as you stepped into that opportunity, as you said yes, as you planted that seed, you watched as over time, 
Against all odds, because of the power of God, God grew it, and God forged it, and God built it into something much, much bigger. I'm sure we could have plenty of God stories all around this room of ways that God has done that in our lives. And I guess the question that I have to ask you is, if God could do that in your life then, I wonder what seeds God has placed in your life now. Like, I wonder if in this room right now, maybe there's, there's a dream that God has placed on your heart. Maybe it's even a dream that was placed there a long, long time ago. And all you really got is like the seed of the desire. All you got right now, all you can see is a seed of an idea. That's all you can see. But I'm willing to tell you right now, That when we say yes to that idea, when we say yes, if it's a God idea, when we say yes to it, even though we just see the seed of a dream, God actually sees the tree of a dream fulfilled. Maybe for you, there's there's actually a person in your life. Maybe uh, it's a neighbor or a coworker, someone someone who you see often. But recently, you felt this seed of a prompting from God to to actually begin to form a relationship with that person, to maybe learn your neighbor's name or to learn more than their name, a little bit more than, hey, Bill. (laughs) Maybe to actually invite them into your home. Maybe to invite that new coworker out to lunch. Maybe to invite them to church. (laughs) And it's real easy for us to say no to those promptings because you're a busy person. It also might get a little awkward if they're not into the church thing. But also, can you imagine for a second that just maybe the seed of your invitation might actually be the catalyst that God is going to use to bring a tree of transformation into someone else's life and that person is just waiting for someone to plant that seed? God is just waiting for someone to say, yeah, I'll do it. I can't think, man, I I was thinking about like, for me, I was so inspired to see earlier all of us that were willing to get on our knees and lay, lay all of our lives down. And in moments like this, it's really, you know, for me, like, yeah, that's a big moment with God. And I'll lay all of my life down in the service and I'll say, it's all for you, God, whatever you want me to do. And then I walk right past his prompting in the lobby. I see a person and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to (laughs) go. Strangely enough, sometimes I think it's actually easier to say yes to God for everything and say yes to God for the big things and then really hard to say yes to the small seed of the kingdom. I wonder if there's anyone in this room who there's a broken relationship in your life maybe in your family, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a friend. And right now, there's so much mistrust. There's so much distance. It seems so fractured. But there's a small seed within you still. Like There's just a little seed to reach out to that person. There's a little seed to say, I'm sorry. There's a little seed to ask your spouse one more time about counseling. Can we go get help? There's a little seed within you to say, yes, we can. I don't think it's going to work, but yes, I will. And it might not look likely. 
But I wonder if you just saying yes to that seed, yes to I'm sorry, yes to reaching out, I wonder if saying yes to that tiny little prompting might put the two of you on a trajectory towards full restoration, towards a brand new relationship, towards a new marriage entirely, towards a new legacy for your entire family, and it all started with a simple text, can we try one more time? Can we talk? Listen, I don't know, I don't know exactly what seed you've been avoiding in your life. I don't even know why, but I understand sometimes I'll avoid seeds in my life because it doesn't really look likely. I actually can't see a probable path for God to do anything with it. And I'm here to tell you this tonight. It might not look likely. Heck, it might not even be possible. But I think what Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable is that in the kingdom of God, because of God's power, the, <laughs> the impossible not only becomes possible, the impossible actually becomes likely. But where we just see that seed, we got to step into it. We have to say Yes, this is what it means, actually, to live life with God. This is what it means to live in the culture of the kingdom. It means that we are people who see potential. We are people who see hope in the things that everyone else has actually given up on. Whereas we are people living in the culture, it means we have a little thing called faith. Which means we believe that if we do our part, then God is going to be faithful as God has since the beginning of time to do God's part. And here's how the process works. To live in that kingdom culture, to be a person of the kingdom means two things. One, you say yes to the seed, and then you let God grow the tree. What my pastor always likes to say is, you do what only you can do, and you let God do what only God can do. When you see that seed when you feel that little whisper from the Holy Spirit, when you get that prompting to have that conversation or to apply for that job or, or whatever it might be, you say yes to that seed. And then you believe that by God's power, by God's grace, by God's goodness, God will build and grow that tree. I, I taught this text and this idea of seeds and trees in our community several months ago, and just this last week, uh, I was hanging out in, in our church lobby after a gathering, and a guy that I didn't really know, he, he came up to me and introduced himself. His name was Freddie, and he was clearly a little like frazzled and a little nervous, and he started to tell me a story about how several months ago I had given uh, this teaching about seeds and trees and saying yes to the seed. And the seed that was in his heart was to reach out to his parents about coming to church with him again. That was the little seed in his heart. And he'd, he'd been feeling it for a while, but he'd been avoiding it, and he, he hadn't really done it. So that Sunday, he was like saying yes to the seed. So he texts his parents, reaches out to them, invites them to come to church. They start coming to church with him. They go to church for the next couple of weeks, da da da, da and, and, and they're hearing the sermons, and then eventually they start listening to other sermons in the car together while they're driving, like they're having double church, basically. And one day on the way home from church, Freddie, he, he hears another seed, and he's like, okay. So he's like, hey, can we play this message that I heard a few weeks ago? So he plays that, the message that I had given on our podcast as they drive. And his mom gets this little tiny inkling, this little seed to reach out to her brother, her brother who had been estranged from the family for about 20 years. 
Just a little seed to reach out to him. Come to find out. He had suffered a heart attack and was in the hospital. was on his deathbed. So what do they do? This woman, who had not spoken to her brother in 20 years, Freddie, who had not seen his uncle since he was three years old, they get to go visit him in the hospital. And as they're standing there by his deathbed, wouldn't you know it, God gives them another little seed. Won't you ask your uncle where he's at with Jesus? So they do. They have a conversation with him, and they keep coming back over the next several days. And over those days, they have conversations about faith, and eventually, before he passes, their uncle makes a decision, says yes to Jesus. So I tell that story because I want to point out, we're not just talking about you saying yes to one seed. What we're talking about is being a people. We're talking about being a church that when we say yes, when we all collectively say yes to the little tiny seeds from God, we don't just see a tree, we start to see a garden. We start to see something so much bigger and so much more beautiful and so much more redemptive than we could ever imagine. And maybe you've been praying for those things. You've been praying for God to do big, only God things in your life and you're just watching seeds go by you. And God's like, that little thing that you just ignored, that's where the big answer to your prayer was. And so again, I'll just ask you, for the rest of our time tonight, would you be brave enough to ask that of God? God, where are the seeds in my life? And would you have faith to say yes to those things? Believing that that is not just a seed, but that is a tree in development, not just for you, but for your family, for your friend, for your coworker. It's not just a seed. We're about to see it be a tree. I'm going to invite Pastor Steve to come up and we're going to move into some ministry time together. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.